the world and into our lives through Jesus and through his, his resurrection. And we are I'm so excited about what God has for us today. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jonathan Hupp, and I get to serve as the pastor here with Bluemont. And we're wrapping up a series we've been doing for a little while here today called Paradoxes. And paradoxes are seemingly contradict two things that seem to contradict each other, but they're somehow come together. They're somehow true at the same time. And God has, God has a whole lot of things like that. We've talked about that it's the, the nature of God is to conceal a matter. God hides things. A lot of things in life that are hard to figure out and we don't get, it's because God is a God who hides things. But it's the, the glory of kings, the Bible says, is to search things out. And God wants us to, to uncover the, the hidden mysteries that he has in the world. And today we're talking about a paradox called the, the one and the many. Or another way, another title for this talk, this message, could be individuals on a team. Or individuals in a community. Because oftentimes there seems to be a tension between being individuals, but being part of a community or part of a team. And I was thinking about this this, this morning, or last night, this this memory came to mind of a, when I was a kid, my mom was, she liked listening to this Christian radio, there's a Focus on the Family was a popular radio program back when I grew up in the 80s, great decade, and someone on that show recommended a game called The Ungame, and it was kind of a Christian fad, and the idea of The Ungame was that it was a game that there weren't winners and losers, but everybody was part of the same team, and you just they were, asked you questions, you went around and you shared your true innermost thoughts and feelings. And so my mom thought, what a great game to bring our family closer together. And so, yes, the la- laughter is an appropriate response. <laughs> so she bought the young game and I think she managed to get us to play it once. Because the idea of us kids sitting there and sharing our feelings and having a family bonding experience over this ungame and Besides, it's a game without winners and losers. Like, that was a loser of an idea, <laughs> as far as I was concerned. And, you know, that, my mom was, she's still actually, I think that game is still in the closet with the other games. She's hoping maybe the grandkids or the great-grandkids or, but no. There's something about that game didn't work. And there are a lot of reasons it didn't work, but part of it is because we were wired to compete. And we were wired to win as individuals. And we loved, I mean, we played Monopoly for hours or Risk into the early hours of the morning, because, like, who's going to win? But you got this game where it's like, hey, we're all, just, we're all just bonding. This is lame. What's up with that? But that's actually an especially American response. If you look at different cultures, there's a spectrum of, from individualism to a group orientation. And America falls pretty far on this end of the spectrum. But other cultures fall in different places. I remember reading about, there's a an island called Yap in the South Pacific. And in Yap, they play a game like volleyball, where there's a net, and there are two teams and a ball, and you pass it around, you go over the net. But the goal is that the ball never touches the ground. And both sides are working together to keep the ball in the air for as long as possible. And if you're Yap, that's a great way to have fun. But if you're an American, that doesn't go over quite as well. (laughs) Um, But it's actually, it's interesting, this idea of, of the one and the many. It's really a deep philosophical idea, a theological idea. There have been tons of books and treatises written about how does this work, what's the interplay. And if you look at different cultures, it really comes down to their view of God. Countries or cultures that have a view of, of many gods, 
tend to have certain characteristics in how they view the one and the many. Whereas cultures that see that are monistic or one God or one ultimate reality, it plays out in different ways. I'm not going to go into that. There's a, there's a book on our resources table called Discipling Nations that has an incredible chapter, something along the lines of the one and the many, that talks about how this works out, how we see God affects this, our understanding of community. But for Christians, it all boils down to the nature of God. Or a, a, another way to say this is that to really understand how individuals and community come together, it comes down to who is God and how does he work. And the, the understanding that God is one and God is three. God is one and God is a community in the Trinity. That the, the mystery of God is that there is one God, but there are three persons. persons. And from the beginning, God has always existed not only as an individual, but also in community. He's a social being. And in Genesis 1, 26, it, we, it says, Then God said, Let us, and that's interesting that God, who is one, says us, a plural pronoun describing himself, let us make man in our image. And so we're made in the image of God. We're made like God, and there's a lot in that, but part of how we're made in God's image is that we are relational. We're social. We are an individual, but we're made for relationship. It's inherent in who we are. That's something that's, that is very unique to humans. And then it goes on, it says, and God made man in his own image, male and female, he created them. And there's something in even how God made mankind as male and female that shows the diversity of God, that shows the the communal aspect, the community, the, the, the different aspects of who God is are put in men and put in women in different ways. And no one of us, can, can men reflect God differently than women reflect God. And then a little bit later it says, and God made Adam first, and it, he looked at Adam, and he named all the animals, and what did God say? It's not good for man to be alone. And all the women say, amen. <laughs> that, is, that is a scary thought. Dudes by themselves. If you've been in a bachelor pad, it can be a little stank in there. It gets, it's weird. It's not good for man to be alone. And so, out of the man, there's this interconnectedness he made the woman. And the two shall become one. And there's something in that. They're, they're each individuals, but they become one. And that's how God made us as men and women. And now when, when Adam and Eve sinned, when the fall happened, when we fell short of God's glory and brokenness and destruction entered the world, one of the most important ways that that affected us was not only in our individuality and in our individual relationship with God, that was completely affected, but our relationships with one another were also damaged. Immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, there was separation in their relationship with one another. They began blaming one another and accusing one another, and there was distance that had never existed before. And so the community, the team, the relationship that God designed of two coming together and becoming one was damaged. And we've lived in that reality ever since. Now, when we talk about, okay, the one and the many, the individual and the team, a lot of us instinctively go to the idea that, hey, the, the team usurps the individual. Or you give up your individual identity to be part of a community. And there's an element of truth to that, but... That isn't really a proper understanding. As we go back to the, the Trinity, there is, you don't 
we're not intended to lose our oneness or lose our individuality, but we're supposed to, to bring, we're intended to bring it into something greater. And I'm uh, not a big NBA fan, but I, I like the Golden State Warriors. And I liked them before they won a championship. Yeah, here we go, all the, all the haters out there. <laughs> but it was, a very, it was very interesting to me. Those of you who don't know much about basketball, so Golden State had the best records. They, they, won, they won the NBA championship two years ago. Last year they, had, they set the record for wins in a season, and then they were beaten by the Cavaliers in the playoffs, and incredible playoffs. Um, but what's, the, the Golden State Warriors had, a, their star player was Stephon Curry. But then Clay Thompson, Steph Curry. And then Clay Thompson is also great. But these, Curry had two seasons like off the charts historically, like literally changed the game of basketball by the way he shot from, from long range. And everybody's changing their game by the way he's, he's shooting the three and, and everything. And he won the MVP, MVP two years in a row. They've got this team that's going, that won more games than any other team. It's like an incredible team. And then in the offseason, they pick up Kevin Durant, who is also one of my favorite players. And Kevin Durant and Curry are like two of the top three scorers in the NBA. All right? They've, in the last seven years, they've won five out of the seven scoring titles, like scored the most points. They've won three MVPs in those years. Like, these are two of the best individual players, and now all at once they're coming together on a team. And as soon as I saw this, I was like, this sounds amazing, but how's it going to work? Is it going to work? Like, you have all the issues that you've got stars, and usually, like, stars don't, oftentimes they have an issue, like, they want the ball, and you can't have too much star power on one, one team. And so, but they all said all the right things. They, uh, they were all saying, hey, you know, it's all about the team, it's not about me. We, we're, we're just happy to, to have a greater team. And so the season started, and things were, were going really well. Um, they were winning a lot of games, and things looked great. And, and that's really been the case. And they haven't been quite on the same pace as last year when they set the record for most wins. But they've played very, very well. But there were, I read an article about a week ago that said, you know, there were some things that weren't quite as good as it seemed. And if you looked at some stats and marks of efficiency and things like that, in some ways, they were actually functioning less well than they had the previous year. And, and if you looked at one of the most obvious things was the Steph Curry, his numbers were the one, he was the one whose numbers had changed the most. He wasn't scoring as many points and just wasn't in the flow of the game as much. And a little while back, they, they started making some adjustments, and their coach said, you know what? We realize that when Curry goes, we go. And we need to make sure we're not backing off too much of who he's supposed to be. And he started being more aggressive and more assertive. And with that, not only did he score more points, but the whole team took it up to the next level that they hadn't hit before then. And I don't know how it's all going to play out. Just last night, he scored 43 points and 25 points in a quarter, and it's phenomenal. But it's an interesting case say to me that oftentimes, we, when we think, we, we err on one of two sides. We think, okay, we tend to be just about me and not want to give ourselves to relationships and others. Or we come into a social situation, and there are so many ways that we aren't true to who we're really called to be. I mean, there's the whole dynamic of peer pressure, 
of going along with the crowd and not living the way you're supposed to. There's so many ways to just come into a group and lose a part of your identity. And really what God has for us is to, to hold on to both of those things in an incredible way that only he can bring about. Um, so we're going to break this talk about each side of that. What does it mean to be an individual and what does it mean to, to, to be on the team? Or how does, how does God bring that about for us? Um, as an individual, I'm just going to go through this pretty quickly. If you have your bulletin or you're taking notes, there's three bullets here. As an individual, I have a unique identity, gifting, and calling. Every person is made by God in a unique way. We're like, we're snowflakes. There's no other snowflake out there like you. But it's true. We all have a unique identity. That's part of God's incredibleness, is that he makes everyone different. We have unique giftings, unique abilities. When we, when we become a believer and God fills us with, with, with the Holy Spirit, he gives us different spiritual gifts. And those are different from one another, and that's God's design, and that's the beauty of the church, the people of God, is that different people bring different things. God gives them different things that the rest of the body needs, the rest of us need. Um, we have a different calling. We each have a unique purpose, and your purpose is different than my purpose. I think about this with my kids. I've got five kids, and I heard someone say once, how do you know when, when, you've had, when it's, it's time to stop having kids? And my friend said, you know, it's like when you look at your kids and you go, I think we're all here. <laughs> and, you know, I think that was true for us. We had three kids, and we were getting to the point of like, actually we had four kids, and we were thinking, are we almost done? And I had a conversation with my wife. She was like, I think we should be done. And I was like, you know, I just feel like maybe we're supposed to have one more. And then like a month later, there was another one on the way. And now we're just like, yeah, we think we're all here. <laughs> we're, we better all be here because we've got all we can keep up with and more already. But when I look at my kids, it's like, man, they are so different. They're all so different from me. And they're so different from one another. And that's the beauty of it is that, man, if any one of them wasn't here, there would be a huge loss. And that's how God feels about his kids. He's like, man, everyone is unique and matters. And that's 1 Corinthians 12 is part of our weekly reading, but it talks about the body. And the, the, the church is like a body with many parts, and each person is a member of the body. And the body needs every one of those parts. As an individual, I have my own connection with God. This is important. There's a there's a saying that God doesn't have any grandchildren. And you can't have a access to God or a relationship with God through anybody else except through Jesus. We all are called to have our own personal connection with God. We all have, when we trust in Jesus, that, that's our own trust in Jesus, our own turning from our sins and turning to Christ. And that brings a direct relationship with God, a direct connection. And that's one of the greatest gifts that we can have. We're going to look more at that in just a second. And then we also, as an individual, we have a personal responsibility. You know, there's, there's a calling we each have, and with a calling comes a responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. And what God has given each one of us, we are accountable to God for. It's not our, anybody else's responsibility to take what we have been given, but it's our responsibility. And we will each give an account to God for our life, and what we do with the responsibility he's given us. 
And the scripture we're going to look at talks about all of those aspects. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. And this is, this is just incredible. I love this. See if you can see all these things in here. The, the unique calling, gifting, and identity. The unique personal connection with God. And the personal responsibility. 2.27 But you have received the Holy Spirit... And he lives within you. There's the personal connection. You, every believer, has received the Holy Spirit, and he lives personally inside you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you all things, and what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. And this, I think this is one of those radical statements in the Bible. This is in the midst, he, he's giving instructions to the people in the first century where there were a lot of false teachings going around. And people going around teaching things about God and teaching things about Jesus that weren't true, that were very deceptive. And he was giving them advice about that, but now he's saying, you know, really, at the end of the day, you have God living inside of you. And you don't need someone else to tell you because the Holy Spirit is in you. And you can listen to him. And he's the one you got to listen to. And he tells you what is true. So it's a matter of knowing and listening to the Holy Spirit, who's within you. There's that, that personal connection and personal responsibility. It says, so continue in what he has taught you and continue to live in Christ. Now we, we talk a lot about how, man, we need other people. But this is basically saying the opposite. Basically, if you just read this verse you'd, in the whole, and didn't read the rest of the Bible, you'd think, I don't need anybody. And there's an element of that that is very true. That ultimately what we need is God himself. And we have what we need directly from God. All right, so there's, um, I'll keep, the next verse, verse 28 says, And now, dear children, continue to live in fellowship with Christ. So that's how we walk this out. Continue to live in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. John, the, the, the writer here, the Apostle John, is giving his audience the sense of responsibility. That, hey, it's on you. You live in fellowship with Christ. The way, if you live in fellowship with Christ, you will have everything you need. And that will be to such a degree that when Jesus comes back and you give an account to him for your life, because you have taken personal responsibility for your growth, personal responsibility for your relationship with him, that you didn't have any excuses about what didn't happen or what was too hard or who did this or who did that, but you own the responsibility and you built that relationship with him. It says you will not have to shrink back at his coming. And that's one of the most powerful things to live for, to think that when Jesus comes back and I look him in the eye, through, my, through the blood of Jesus and my trust in him and walking out this life on a personal level, I'll be able to look him eyeball to eyeball and be excited and confident in that place. And that, that is a high calling. And that's what God has made available to us. As we, as, but it requires us owning our, 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 our personal life before God. All right, so that's the individual side. The team side... 
The other side of the paradox. So I want to talk about that. What does bringing, what does being on a team bring? Hold on to the individual, but add the team aspect of that. Well, the first thing being on a team brings is, I think my favorite, is companionship. It's friendship. Personal connection. We're, we're social. We're relational. We're made for relationship. One of our core values at Bluemont is you can't do life alone. And that's not just like a means to an end. Like, oh, I need relationships to accomplish something. But no, life is found in relationships. It's our relationship with God and our relationships with others. But that is, that is life itself. Um, that's, the, that's the very life that, that God brings us into. In 1 John chapter 1, just moving back a, a chapter, we read this. It says, the one, this is, this is John writing about Jesus, and he starts out giving this very high, profound insights about who Jesus is, the revelation that God has brought into the world. He says, the one who existed from the beginning is the one we have heard and seen. We saw him, we saw this Jesus with our own eyes, and we touched him with our own hands. He is Jesus Christ, the word of life. This one who is life from God was shown to us, and we have seen him. And this is the ultimate. The God of the universe became flesh. He walked around. He was my friend. I knew him. I experienced life through him. This is the life we all, for the world is found through knowing him. And he says, and now we testify, did I read that? We testify and announce to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was shown to us. We are telling you about what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. Okay, so they're bringing the message of Jesus. They're bringing the message of Jesus' life into the world, and the life that he brings into the world. And then he says this, he says, so that... In other words, what's the so therefore? Why, why is he telling us all this? Why is he bringing the message of Jesus into the world? He says, so that you may have fellowship with us. Man, that sounds really arrogant if you think about it. You know, if, if someone on the street had this conversation with you, like, man, I personally, the God of the universe became a person. And then he called me to be his friend and we, were, we walked together for three years. And he shared the wisdom of God and his purpose for three years with me and, and this group of people. And I knew him and I ate with him and we slept in the same places and shared life together. And, and then he was, died and was raised from the dead and went back to heaven. And he commissioned us to bring this message to the world. And you know why? So that you can be friends with me. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute here. <laughs> like, that, I mean, you must be really desperate for friends. <laughs> I mean, you concocted a really big story that God did all that just so we could have fellowship together. That seems outlandish. That seems crazy. But it's true that Yes, the relationship that God had for us with him was restored through Jesus. But also the relationships with one another that were broken through sin are restored in Jesus. 
And that's the depth of relationship that God has for us. That's the life that he calls us into. And that is, that is life itself. That is, this is the, the essence of the life that, that, that God has for us. It brings us into really the, the fellowship, the, the companionship, the deep kinds of friendship that, that we yearn for, that we, were, we, we desire so much. I mean, just this, my, I've got two friends from high school, and I've got like more than that, a little bit more than that, <laughs> not very many. Two that we still stayed in touch pretty close. And every couple of years we get together for, for this thing we call track retreats. Don't, don't ask me why. It's so weird, weird, you know, how high school things are. But we now live, my one friend lives in Dallas, the other friend lives in, in Taiwan. And we're going to get together in April. And we're just talking about what we're going to do. And I suggested, hey, maybe we should, like, we're going to be up in northwest Indiana. I was like, maybe we should go camping at Lake Michigan. And my one buddy wrote back, he's like, man, that just sounds awesome. Like, we'd be in a tent, be hiking together, riding bikes together, just snuggling up in our sleeping bags in the middle of the night. Man, that's going to be great. And I was like, you know, I mean, the snuggling, he didn't use that word. But, <laughs> but it was like, you know, that just sounds great. Like, getting together with my two buddies and having a couple of days together and camping out and talking late into the night and this craziness is sure to erupt. Like, that is, that's going to be awesome. And, you know, that's, that's an aspect of life, not that exact thing. But those types of experiences are what God made us for, to live life in, in real communion, real, real companionship with other people. And, but that requires being on a team, being in a relationship. Being on a team also brings transformation. Yeah, who wants some transformation? Um, you know, it's amazing that in... In Hebrews 6, it lays out the foundational truths of Christianity. And it lays out things like repenting or turning from our sins and faith in God. It talks about things like baptisms. It talks about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And in the middle of that list, there's this thing that doesn't really seem to fit. And it's this thing called laying on of hands. And laying on of hands is a a means by which people of God pray for one another and lay hands on one another. There's my excuse to touch my wife. That was great. <laughs> they lay hands on one another. But God somehow imparts spiritual gifts from one person to another through the laying on of hands. And there's, a, there's something in that that there are things we need from God that we can't get any other way but through other people. We, yes, our relationship with God is, is all we need, but it's not all we need. For us to be transformed and to come into everything God has for us and to receive everything we need, we, we need other people. And, you know, how many of you know that you become like the people you hang out with? Sometimes it's a little weird. Sometimes it's not a good thing. But there, there are, that's the way God made us, is that there's an impartation of life. That as you hang out with people, as you spend time with people, you become like the people you're around. And, you know, I thank God. I was having a conversation with a few people about this this week. That we were talking about, man, we're so grateful that there were people in our life who helped us to change. Because I, I'm, I just I shudder to think what I would be like 
without the people that God brought into my life to help me to grow and help me to see blind spots and help me to see areas of my life that I, I didn't realize were going on. Or maybe I did realize, but I didn't have the ability to get past certain, certain roadblocks. But it was people in my life who came alongside and helped me and brought me into something. And that, that is what we need for transformation. There's, there's certain levels of transformation you can't experience apart from, from those types of relationships. Now that takes closeness with other people. That takes being receptive. And that takes this thing called transparency. That takes being open and, and vulnerable with what's going on. Uh, I want to read just a few verses later in, in 1 John chapter 1. It says, This is the message he has given us to announce to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not living in the truth. But if we are living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ is, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. That says that if we are living in the light of God's presence, if we are living in the light, then what? Then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. A prerequisite to this fellowship is living in the light. That means not hiding. Not having parts of our life that are compartmentalized off or secret. But we're bringing things out into the open with the right people, with the people God puts in your life. And that's an aspect of of bringing out what's really going on. Of being transparent, of being vulnerable, of of sharing, man, what are my deepest fears and insecurities? We need people in our life that we can tell what's going on. What are the anxieties that we're wrestling with? What are the dreams that are in our hearts? That, man, we, we know there's something that we, we want to live for, we want to see happen. What are those things? What are the sins that we haven't been able to get past? You know, there, there are certain besetting sins. There are certain sin patterns in our life that the only way to overcome them is to confess them to a brother or a sister. Now, there are literally millions of people in America today who are, who are in bondage to pornography, who are not going to get out of it until they bring that into the light in an accountable relationship with another person. Like, that is the thing that will help them get out. The, the next verse here says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to, to forgive us our sins and heal us from all unrighteousness. And there's a thing about being transparent, about confessing it. And yes, confessing it to God, but also confessing it to another person. In, in James 5.16, it says, If you confess your sins one to another, you will be healed. And that's where the Catholics get the idea of confessing to a priest, which is, which is a good step. But the problem is that that's anonymous. And the anonymity loses the power of the transparent confession, where you're looking at someone you can trust and saying, man, this is what's going on. And I want to overcome this, but I haven't been able to. Will you help hold me accountable? I confess this, I turn from it, and I want you to ask me what's going on and help me walk this out. There's a transparency that we want to have. Um, you know, this, this transformation, the other really tricky thing God does is that he puts people in our life that are not the people we would pick. 
You know, how, I would like to pick the people that I get to walk with as these accountability partners and these bosom buddies. But you know what? Most of the people that God has put in my life, I would have never picked. And even more than that, they would have never picked me. You know, I had a really good friend in college in our first few years after college named Eric. And Eric was a, very different than me. He was, he was a popular guy in a fraternity. He was very fond of telling everyone we met about our relationship. Man, I would have never been Jonathan's friend, <laughs> except for God. I mean, I mean, you know, read through that. Like, he was a dork. He was so uncool. Like, I was, we were in totally different social circles. You know, it was like, he was, every, like that came out, and I started to, like, cringe. Like, don't say that again, like you're saying. <laughs> and he had this thing, like, I, he was really sensitive to smells. And really sensitive to bad breath. And so, so often, I'd be, like, just talking to him, and he'd be like, Aah! like, literally, he would just have this, he'd be like, your breath, your breath, is horrible. And, I don't know if it was that bad, but I thank God, and he would be like, mint, 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 and he would just, so I, through Eric Fish, I learned to always have breath mints with me, and transformation happened in my life. I mean, I have, thank God, yes, that's right. Can all rejoice. Eric Fish brought transformation in my life. And I would have never been like Eric. And so many, you look at the people, I look at the people that are in my life. I mean, my wife loves to say that about me. Like, hey, he, I, I would have never been his friend. Except God brought us together in this thing called church. And that's what a church is. It's people that would have never been together. Diverse people that God brings together. And the beauty of that is those are the relationships that help us to get things that we never would have got any other way. All right. We could talk so much more about that, but it's too painful for me. <clears throat> There's another thing called synergy. Another thing that we get from being on teams. And synergy is the idea that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And that is, that's the beauty of a, a team at its best, is that parts come together, but something happens that's, there's a dynamic that's not just one plus one plus one, but it's multiplication. The Bible says this principle, one shall slay a thousand, one, one follower of, of God, one person with, with God working on their behalf, shall send a thousand to flight, Two, 10,000. One shall defeat a thousand, but two, 10,000. If you do the math, you think, well, one should send a thousand, two, 2,000. But no, there's synergy. There's a dynamic that happens when people come together that it's so much greater than, than our individual lives. And it's not just that we can accomplish more, but because God is a community and God is so diverse, there's so much in God, that it's different people coming together that represent different parts of God's nature in ways that is actually needed to represent God. That if we're going to see God work in our lives, if we're going to bring God to the world, 
it's not just a matter of my life, but it's through our relationships that something even greater is made known. Jesus told his disciples that it's by your love for one another, they will know that you're Christians. They'll know you're Christians by your love. That in those relationships, that's what shows the world who God is. And this is Jesus was, taught his disciples, hey, always go out in twos. Don't do stuff by yourself. And there are a lot of reasons for that, but part of that is the synergy. And then go wherever you go, build teams. And then his followers have modeled this throughout history. Paul was one of the best at this. He always had a partner and then, or a small team, and they always built bigger teams wherever they went. And this scripture was brought to my attention recently in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is talking about his travels, and he says in verse 12, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, so in other words, he, there was an, he was going around the world, spreading the gospel, going to new cities, starting churches, and he says, in this place, a door was opened. The, in the Lord, like, there was an opportunity that God had for me. But he says, but my spirit was not at rest because I, did, I, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So Paul's saying, even though it seemed like a great opportunity, my spirit was not at rest because I knew I was by myself. I needed a partner to go carry out my mission, really. If I was going to do what God wanted to do, I couldn't be by myself. I had to have my man Titus with me. I had to have somebody with me. And, and so when Titus came, then we were able to go and represent God more fully the way he intended us to. And, you know, if we're just presenting ourselves, we're not representing God accurately. But as we get a teammate, as we get a partner, and whatever God's called you to, it's not by yourself. It's to find the person he's called in that with you. And then from there, to multiply to more people. So you may have dreams and ideas, and maybe the question God has for you this morning is, okay, who's the person? Who's the next person that I need to find up, to find, to link up with, to go into this thing you're calling me into? All right. Pull this all together here. What do we do with this? I don't know. <laughs> Figure it out. I'm going to give you a few next steps. Um, but these are, these are just suggestions. There may be other things, but we always want to be practical. We always want to be taking God's word and applying it and letting it work into our lives. And, and really the idea of a next step is, is taking personal responsibility for our relationships. Taking personal responsibility for how we walk this out, how we live as an individual in a community. The very true statement has been said, that if you want to have a friend, be a friend. And I love that because oftentimes we, we feel sorry for ourselves. Oh, I don't, well, how come my relationships are like this? But it puts the, the responsibility where it should be. Okay, it's on me. I will have the caliber of friendships that I invest in. And that doesn't mean everybody. That means you've got to be willing to be the person that's taken the initiative way more than it's responded. You've got to be willing to make more calls and send more texts and make more invitations, realize that not everybody's going to reciprocate. But am I willing to be the one who's the initiator, who's taking responsibility for my life and my friendships? So, all right, here are a few next steps. First one, become a Christian. This is, this is our next step for everything, all right? If you're here on the Sundays, you realize, wait, I've heard that before. But none of this happens until you become a Christian. This is all the, the bottom line, the, the starting point is 
turning from our, our selfishness, our isolation, our living from our, for ourselves, our sin, and coming into relationship with God by turning from our sins and trusting Jesus and what he did on the cross. That changes us on the inside. That brings us into relationship with God. And that gives us the ability to live in relationship with others the way God intended us to. It's impossible to either be an individual the way we're supposed to or live in relationship the way we're supposed to apart from God transforming our hearts on the inside. So if you haven't done that yet, that's the first step, and God's inviting you to take that step. The next step you could take is join a community group. We, one thing Bluemont offers as a way to help facilitate these relationships is community groups. And we have a number of them, but they meet throughout the week. And if you, it's a group of people who, who gather regularly for fellowship to help grow, to build relationships, and, and, and help us live this out. And so if you mark your bulletin and turn that in at the, in the offering today, we'll track you down and help you some those connections or talk to someone at the Welcome Center, and they can help you too. Another great next step is, here's a good one, I like this. Have an honest conversation to go deeper with someone. So have an honest conversation with someone. Come into the light. It could be about your relationship. It could be about something, um, a, a sin that you need to deal with, that you need accountability for. It could be something you, you want prayer for. Whatever it is, have an honest conversation with someone with the goal of going deeper in that relationship. And a, a, another next step you could take is pray and make a move about a relationship that's stuck. Now, oftentimes our relationships, they get to a place where they kind of get stuck. And there's something that's happened, or something we're unsettled about, or something we just, there's an impasse we've come to, and God doesn't want us to stay there. But he wants to give us wisdom and help us take the initiative to, to enter that relationship and make a move, trusting God to help us get unstuck in that relationship. Man, if you can imagine... I mean, I actually, it doesn't take too much imagination for those of you that, that have been around for a while, that this is an incredible thing, individuals living in community. It is, I mean, so many of the people that I talked to, like, man, what brought you to Bluemont? It was like, it was a sense of family. It was a sense that there was a community. And man, I, I'm so honored to be part of people that are walking this out and giving themselves, following their destiny and giving themselves for others at the same time. And that's really what we're called to. We're called to be a, a community in this city where those types of relationships and that dynamic is multiplying. That all over Manhattan, all over K-State, there is a group of people, and more and more people coming into that and living out the, that kind of life and those kind of, that kind of relationships. And that's what God has for us. That's what he's bringing us into. I just want to pray and trust God to help us come into that more and more. So let's, let's pray together. God, thank you for making us to share your relationship that you had and that you have already, that you, you already had, and that you, to share that with us. Thank you for making us to be important individuals in great relationships. And God, I, I pray that you would help us to, to walk this out more fully. 
Lord, even today, I pray for areas of our lives that hinder that, that you would, by the Holy Spirit, put your finger in those areas, make it clear what you're doing, and help us to, to walk that out into the place that you have for us. Lord, we trust you for that, in Jesus' name, amen.